Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad, here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you? I'm doing quite well, Shad. I'm doing well. Quite well. Nice. Thank you, everybody, for being with us for this episode. We appreciate you being here with us. We're going to get our shout-outs taken care of right here at the beginning. The first one's going to go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand. CollarandElbowBrand.com. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast, number four, capital C and corner, capital P and podcast. Save 10% off your order. And for our other shout-out, we go to Matt. Uh, that would be to Orlando Cologne, the living legend. The living I consider le- him a living legend. That sounds like a segue, Matt. It is a segue. Um, by the way, <laughs> I should uh, throw a shout-out. It's like, I hope everyone – I should have done a better job like promoting it on Twitter. I, I should have uh, not just had – uh, Tim farmed this out a bit. I yeah. hope all everyone listened to our super stream this Friday on uh, on Tim's channel, Open Airlock Policy. Mm. Those are always fun. Stream. Yeah. Yeah. I want to find whoever wrote that article about the worst moves ever and beat them severely, and Simone spike them right in the throat. Oh yeah. If if you listened, uh, there was an article that was written that we discussed. Uh, it's not. I don't think it's like a new article, but it's like the 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 50 worst like wrestling moves of all time. And some of the moves on there, it's like this guy deserves a beating for some of that. It's like yeah. you, you really you're gonna put Hogan's leg drop. It's like one of the worst wrestling moves. It's like come on. But like Jerry Lawler's put... fist drop. Ric Flair's knife edge chop was on them. Yes. Uh, come it's on. It's like are this? I don't know why he decided he needed to go 50, and then pad it out with stuff that's not bad. Like, he even says on there, he goes, well, there's a place for comedy sometime, but this is a comedy move, so it goes on the list. It's like, you're contradicting yourself all over the place. And there's mm-hmm. plenty of stuff. He didn't know what he was talking about. Like, he literally did not know what he was talking about. So it, it was, well, we ranted about it plenty. Um, I'll try and throw that uh, the link to that on our, our Instagram, too, just so you can go back and watch it and hear us rant. That wasn't even most of the show. There was a great discussion at the beginning of why people watch and what they get out of it and that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. it was a good it was a good stream. Yeah, he uh, he kind of like archives his uh, his stuff on his channel. So if, mm-hmm. if anyone missed it live, uh, which was probably easy to do because it was on a Friday night, then you can go watch it there. Yeah, I I, I will say this. I, this is not me throwing him under the bus. Like we have said on this channel before, like we don't discuss politics. We make we we neither. Uh, approve or refute people's politics tim is like a a right-leaning guy so he has some stuff on and has uh his channel that some people may not agree with we're not saying that we agree with it we have known him for like 20 years though yeah Yeah. so you know even even it's that's enough time it's like even if it's like a a 
a stance on something that we don't agree with him like personally like we're not gonna like try and blow up the guy or yeah anything like no, that he's, he's a good friend tim, tim can agree to disagree tim yeah. on his politics kind of beats to his own drum anyway like i That's i know true. you say right leaning but like if you if you if you hear tim discuss his politics like tim is not like any other person i've ever met like with his political opinions so he does kind of a little bit it, it it's i say right leaning because i think it's generally right leaning but he does kind of beat to his own drum so it's not yeah. uh, it's not like a perfect little box you can fit him in he's kind yeah. of a libertarian like i would call him an originalist mm-hmm. that's probably a good term for it is yeah. what i would call him like on a lot <laughs> but, of his um political views but like matt said we've known him for 20 years and it's so it's a well, it just kind of comes with the territory thing, you know, well, you just kind of accept we we have lots of people we known for a long time. And we just accept that's just something they're into, you know, and and no big yeah. deal. My personal philosophy is like even I, I don't like the whole contention where you have to hate someone because of politics, even if you disagree with them. It's like, no, yeah. Yeah, like I don't so awful. just in general, like anyone it's like you can come up, you can come to me or any of us probably like the, the most like out there politics. Uh, and I'm not going to hate you for it. It's like, that's just your opinion. I, I actually, we're old school in the sense that we can agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. No, well, I mean, so I think, like, I think just from our limited number of guests we've had on this show, I think we've, we've had people from all across the spectrum. Yeah, that's true. Like, cause we just don't care. Like if you're fun to talk to, like, I don't care as long as you're not like a douchebag about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, like I, cause I think where we vary from Tim not not on any opinion thing like we don't talk about it on this show because it's boring like i just find that yeah. shit boring and like like the especially like the twitter controversy stuff is uh, like yeah. um it's just exhausting like he was telling us how um when he did a he did a live stream before that about how like wikipedia like blocked him on twitter and like i'm just like i was so exhausted by it and um, it, it just yeah, it's just like shit like that. It's just like it's so exhausting. Yeah. Well, it's also it's also like the old like 80s movie war games. Like it's like the only what a curious yeah. game. The only winning move is to not play. It's like, yeah, it's better to just not even get involved in that because people and people just take things the wrong way. People like even Wikipedia. Yeah, that way. People yeah. like Wikipedia. I don't like anyway. And I said that to them. I think we might might have said it on stream, but I don't remember. <clears> but um. I really have a problem with people that get really high up on their horse that essentially live off of the work and intellectual property of other people. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I really despise people that do that. And they really, they really tweak my, um, they really tweak me on that one. Sure. There, uh, as a aside, like that, there's a lot of that out there where you're basically, you're now monetizing someone else's intellectual property or product. Mm-hmm. And you're making, yeah, you're making your money just by commenting on it, uh, which I don't kind of like that either. I mean, we, I don't know if you would view the same, what we do the same thing, where like we talk about pop culture and wrestling, but it's I, not quite the same thing. We were, I think, um, I think what you're talking about, not like anything like what Tim does or like what the critical <laughs> drinker does. You're talking about people 
that literally for their YouTube video will monetize it and they will just watch something someone else did and stop it every yeah. like, couple of minutes to make a mm-hmm. comment on it. Like that's what you're talking about is being like a parasite or or monetizing an unofficial wiki based on an intellectual property, like yeah. stuff like that. Like that's what you're talking about, not commentary or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I mean, there's some people out there that they make the money doing like reviews and stuff like that. Like, uh, I don't that's know. That's fine. That's if you're, kind if, of, mm-hmm. not, they're not, adding something to it with their commentary. It's not just, here's a thing like the, there's a lot of them that will, will have whatever the thing is, but then it'll be like, okay, why are you doing this? Why are you making this choice? It's sending this message. I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. And that's adding onto it like that's that's constructive as opposed yeah. to like you know there's some people that'll do like the reacts videos and then they'll play a thing and they'll stop and be like oh did you see that that was and it's like yeah i saw that you just played their content on your on your channel and then all you did was stop it and go oh you know that's that's a whole different thing yeah, that's where I that's where I have a problem with it. I don't care about like reviews and commentary because at least you're you're putting your own spin on it instead of like literally just playing someone else's. Yeah. But, but to go back to Matt's excellent segue <laughs> about the living legend earlier. And Wikipedia has an entry on water, so fuck them. <laughs> yeah, go to sarna.net instead. It's better. Yes. Um so Living legend. Now, you might, uh, depending on how old school a fan you are or how how much you've gotten into some older stuff, you may be like, hey, living legend, where is that from? And if you're a little older, you might think it's Larry Zbysko. And if you're, a little, if you're older than that, you might think it's Bruno San Martino. And guess what? Tonight it's both. You're both right. Yes. <laughs> So this is from 1980, like fresh into 1980, like um, beginning January. January. Yeah. Yeah. And um, this would probably be, I think I said on Tim's stream, if you were to, if you were to do like a Criterion collection of like the best wrestling angles of all time or the most historical ones, like this would have to, this would have to be in there. It's a fascinating bridge between like the this sixty uh, seventy style to the eighties, I think. Yeah. So let's let's throw the disclaimer out there. I recommend. I'm gonna just say that right now. I think anyone that's listening to this should go out and watch this stuff for historical significance. And I do think it's a good program. But I'm going to warn you now. This is old. Like wrestling doesn't start kind of feeling like wrestling until you start pushing into the mid 80s a bit so this is going to feel more like this is going to feel very foreign if you're not used to older stuff yeah if, if you're looking for like you know young bucks type stuff where people are flipping and flopping around uh and doing like multiple v triggers and and stuff like that like no that's, <laughs> that's not that's not that's like decades yet to come yeah that's not happening here this says very much of the um importance placed on the grappling even before a lockup takes place now is that that's not a bad thing that's that's where the business was and that and it worked in that time period but it's also not what most people are used to now yeah again not bad but it's 
like Brad said, it's important to know that going in. No, I actually think um, I actually think all three matches we're going to talk about were at the worst good. And I think one of them minus the ending was pushing on almost great. So, yes, they're just it's it's actually interesting because they all happened within the span of like, what, nine months? Yeah. And each each one feels and is very different than each other, which I, I appreciate that because if you're doing if you're doing a series and you're having like three matches within a year time period, it's it this is and this is before yeah you know well they may have had weekly TV I don't know Brad yeah they did they had um <clears throat> they had championship wrestling and they had all star wrestling so like the um so the so our first two segments essentially were um Zabisco challenges him and then like the the angle and the turn is on championship wrestling over the course of like two weeks. Well, okay. Let's get slightly more um, background is that uh, Larry Zabisco was uh, Bruno's protege. He trained Bruno was one of the people who trained him. Yeah. And in uh, really in, in kayfabe and in actual reality, um, they were trainers. Like he was, that was his trainer. That was his mentor. And the, the way the angle started was that Zabisco was kind of getting frustrated because he was like feeling, hey, I'm, I feel like I'm in Bruno's shadow. And the only way that I can actually get out of his shadow is to wrestle him and, and prove to everyone that I'm I'm my own man. I'm good enough. Uh, and, and he gave he did this by he set all this up in an interview. Yeah. And it should be noted for some background. Um Larry Zabisco at this point is a former WWF tag team champion with Tony yes. Tony Gurria to kind of show you mm-hmm. that he's saying this and he does he's kind of a little he has some right to that because he has like accomplishments of his own at this point. Mm-hmm. Now, um, just if you want to follow along, uh, I'm going to go ahead as we go and I'm going to give you the titles for the. Um, there's a playlist on YouTube yeah. if you look this up that has almost all of it. Yeah. So this is the title on this one was Special Interview with Bruno San Martino and Larry Zabisco Championship Wrestling January 26, 1980. Mm-hmm. I know that's wordy, but you know you yeah. get the date in there. San Martino Zabisco January 26, 1980. That'll get you where you need to go. Yeah, and there's some stuff missing. Like there's a match I couldn't find, and I think there was some preamble to this because. It sounds like he had issued this challenge previously and Bruno had like turned him down because because Bruno kind of reiterates like, hey, you know, I really don't want to do this, but if it'll make you and the fans happy, like I'll do it. But like, I'm not I'm not I couldn't like hurt you. So like I'm not, you know, like I will wrestle you, but I'm not going to try and beat you is essentially what Bruno says in like the course of that interview. Yeah. What well, another thing I loved about it, one is that Zabisco is is so earnest He's like, mm-hmm. he's almost like somber. It's like a, this, he's all, somber, but almost a little bit like frantic. Where it's like, I just have to do this. I have to do it. And he says, like, I, I'm going. If I can't wrestle you, if I'm, not, I can't have this match. I'm just going to put my career on hold. And that's what kind of convinces Bruno, where he's like, because uh, that's like his protege. He's like, I don't want to do this, but you know, I don't want, I don't want your career to, to stall out. So yeah, this will mean that much to you. I'll do it. Bruno had yeah. an ugly ass jacket on too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but, but I, I actually like this a lot. It's like, 
because some of these really old interviews are like hit or miss, but I felt this actually did a good job of conveying like emotion and, and, or, and expressing everything. I got to agree with you, Matt. I really liked how Zabisco's interview was, came off as very earnest because it was not a, um, you know, it was a, this is his presentation of it. There was nothing in it that made it seem over the top or goofy or winking at the camera. So it, it felt very earnest is the best word. You, you know, you just used it. And so Bruno comes out to do his thing. Now, I'm going to preface everything I'm getting ready to say with this. I, through the course of this, have not found myself drawn in by Bruno the way I thought might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's fine, but and I guess that this is just an indicator of the him being, you know, more of the old style thing. I actually found myself more drawn in by his ring work than his um, interviews. Yeah, his interviews, he does not have, when when you look at someone on TV right now and go, man, he's got it, it does not seem to me that Bruno has, like, the 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 magnetism that just, like, you know, will just pull you in kicking and screaming. No, but there's, but I would say he doesn't have the magnetism, but Bruno has a certain sincerity to him that um a lot of wrestlers lack yeah yes um i've heard him give interviews like much much later after his career and i find a lot of this i found a lot of the stuff he said uh like fascinating like when he's talking about his career or he's talking about his his life so i it's not that he's not a compelling character I think it's just that when he was like, you know, in, working, when he was, you know, focusing on a, a match or a rivalry or something like that, uh, he he wasn't as like dynamic as a lot of the personalities that would come on down the the road, even just a little bit later, like with Hulk Hogan. Yeah, like you see a lot of like big personalities, like really really dynamic ones, and that's not exactly how Bruno was. But I I do think Bruno had a lot of like authenticity to him, and he he. He was like a good babyface in that, like he's he's kind of easy to like to root behind, and his grapple work is like really really good. Yeah, and we're coming in like at the tail end of his active career too. I think like I think he might. I think if we had like ten years of like context of Bruno leading up to this, like it might mm-hmm. make um, the way he's acting in this might have a certain level of. Um, like sense that it doesn't have in a vacuum. Yeah. And there might be more gravitas to it or something, but just right now, all but one of the interviews that he does, at least for me, come off as rather flat. There's a couple, Uh, there's a couple in the lead up to the cage match. I liked. I'll, I'll I'll go into the one that really, um, yeah, we'll get into it here in a little bit, but we come back to the next week, so we get the match here. And um, what I liked here, so they, so they kind of, they kind of do a lot of stuff. And um, Bruno's kind of doing what he says, you know, he'll he'll put Larry down, but then he lets him up. And then they kind of get going a little more fast paced, and then he kind of tosses uh, Larry out of the ring, not like 
nastily, he kind of just dumps him. And that's mm-hmm. where things turn, and Larry, like, grabs a chair and just throttles him with it. Because at that point, he had had enough. Yeah. That yeah. That's the thing that this – again, each of the matches felt different to me. This one was – I don't think I had ever actually seen this one, but this one was the most interesting to me because at Bruno had control – every single turn in this match like he always like had the upper hand like if larry tried to to i don't know like get him in like a leg hold or something like bruno could reverse it and put him in his own hole like put him in his yeah. own uh, specific hold he was always in control he would have a guy in a hold he, he he had larry in a hold that he could actually like you know he could have cranked up you know tried to get like a submission or something like that he'd have it synced in for like a second then let it go and yeah. to me it just seemed like larry wasn't getting increasingly frustrated and looking at it like through my eyes i'm like he's getting emasculated and he knows it yeah and and i think what i think what i think if we're if we're talking about like in universe what i think was going on is bruno was trying to go for the time limit draw to kind of like let him keep his dignity i didn't think about that but that's actually like a very great point that's probably yeah. exactly what the motivation was. And Larry, and where, where I like what I like about this angle though is Larry did not set out to screw him. What happened is Larry lost his mind because he got in there with Bruno and realized he was completely out of his depth and he couldn't handle mm-hmm. it. Or, or the fact that Bruno was kind of, um, I think Bruno had good intentions. Like I'm, I'm going into this like I'm kayfaving this a bit. Like I think Bruno had good intentions, but Larry saw it as he was kind of being um, being patronized. Yeah, patronized. Yeah, like, uh, like he's grandstanding. Well, yeah. no, not my read on it was that Larry's out there trying to do stuff, and then Bruno is like knocking him down and reversing it, and then let's go. And it's not that he's grandstanding, but it's just like oh. You're tr- you're trying your best, and then he just keeps doing that, and until the point when Larry's like, "Damn it, you old bastard! You ain't gonna treat me this way." That's the way mm-hmm. I read the shift was that um, you know Bruno was outdoing him, but Bruno was also not, you know, Bruno wasn't actually going for anything, and so Larry thought that that Bruno was. Um, you know, screwing with it. Yeah, and Bruno gigged really well for this. Yeah. Yeah. So, interesting thing, like, when you watch this at the end, Larry goes for a chair, and it's a wooden chair, but here's the th- the interesting thing. These chair shots do not look like the chair shots that, you know, a modern watcher is used to. And No, because they kind of I- they kind of wield them, like... They don't grab them by the legs. In the old days, they kind of take them like by like the sides and kind of just waffle the guy with it. And the other interesting thing is, after I watched all this, I found um, it was a kayfabe commentaries thing, Larry Zabisco, and they were asking about the Bruno feud. And Larry said, "Well, you know, the way we swing in the chair," he said. The way I was doing it doesn't look the way the same the way they do it now because if I had done the way they do it now, everyone in the back would have said, "Oh well, he can't work. He's a bad worker, or he's disrespectful, or he's um, he doesn't take care of people." So there's like a bunch of reasons why he did it that way, but I mean, Bruno just split his forehead open. It but- is. <clears throat> Yeah, because um, well, Big. 
I have to say though, the cameraman should have been fired after that because the cameraman yeah. fucked up bad. Yeah, you, he did. Yeah, they're, they 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 kind of zoom in on Bruno, and you can clearly see him with the blade. Yeah, because yeah, he's tucking the blade in his tights. Yeah, because yeah. Shad's first reaction was like, "Oh man, like Bruno was too obvious with the blade." Then I watched it, I'm like, "No, like he was being pretty good." And the ref, like, no, and the I mean, sorry, the cameraman like zoomed right in on the movement and caught him doing that, and it's just like that's not like good camera work. Well, I, what I said was, "Oh, I caught Bruno tucking or uh, ditching the blade." It's it's not that it was blindingly obvious, but the cameraman just the real thing in this match that was the travesty was that the ref was just awful. Uh, the ref like the ref's bad in the MSG match too. Yeah, just uh, so we have over was it maybe I'm thinking the MSG match. Where it keeps getting dumped, and then the ref's like, oh, back up. And yeah, then no, just that's, the MSG, the, that's okay. the MSG match. All right. And then, sorry, we'll get to him in a minute then. But, yeah, the, the camera guy zoomed in too early. The fact that, um, you know, Larry kind of flips out, and he goes after Bruno and that sort of stuff. Like, he mentally just turned a corner of, I've, I'm trying to prove that I can hang to, Oh, you want to be like that old man? Okay, fine. I'm I'm going to give it to you. And it's it's a different. Um, we just had this big change, so uh, you know, knowing that's coming, you'll kind of you can kind of see it build a little more clearly. Yeah, and I have to say, um, because it'll be a recurring theme throughout this, but um, Vince is a much better announcer in this era. It shines a light uh, on why Vince announces the way he does in the 90s, doesn't it? Yeah. Because if this was Vince's formative years as an announcer, there's not as many things to call exactly. And so, you know, you don't have a bunch of you don't have a bunch of move names you've got to get out there. Like, that's the thing that drove me crazy about Vince's commentating in the 90s. Is that he didn't call what happened most of it and just water maneuver and look yeah. at that. And it's just like, well, what is it, Vince? Like, if I'm watching <laughs> this at home and I don't know what that is, what is that maneuver? I know it was a big thing, but what the hell was it? Or if I'm watching this and I turned my head for a second because my kid came in, my dog is hungry, I sneezed, I don't, and I just hear what a maneuver. I don't know what I missed. And um, but here he does a good job because he's like, he's like, yeah, we're going to get a good, like, scientific wrestling bout today. And like, I, because I'm more, like, because we're more ingrained, you, like, it was like, oh, OK, like that means we're getting like a face first face. Like they're going to be playing nicey nice. OK, like I, I I'm I'm riding along with what you're selling me right now. Yeah, I I agree. I, I liked Vince. I like the more subdued Vince, like just a mm-hmm. regular guy announcer. Um, it's a, a really a stark contrast to how he was like in the nineties where he was, I mean, there's a reason that, the, uh, there's like a merch store called what a maneuver. <laughs> like it's, I mean, it's based off Vince's, you know, commentary back in the day. I mean, and he would also, uh, there was no Vince isms where, you know, a guy would go down for the pinfall. It was like, yes, one, two, three, he's got him. And it's yeah. like, okay, Vince, that was like a one count. Uh, none of that, like over the top stuff. It was him yeah. more just like you know, playing it straight. And oftentimes like, because he was like the only play by play guy, um, 
silent for stretches of period of, of time. I like, like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It, it lets the moment speak for itself. It's um, not constant talking. Yeah. Yeah. I, and um, the other thing is he's really good on interviews, like his facial reactions and stuff. Like he he knows how to look like sympathetic, kind of like mm-hmm. annoyed. Um, he he really he really plays well off of all that. So then so then we get we get all this happening and then we get I think this is like off of like whatever the other show is because they talked about yesterday on this. So we get we get like an empty. Well, no, they might have taped it and then played it the next week, but we get the. It's an empty arena interview with him, like sitting down with Bruno and he's just kind of talking about the whole situation. And where I really got upset though, is they like cut it off right when he was starting to get worked up. Yes. And, um, but I have to say like, as far as like, as far as like promos, like this might be one of my favorite promos I've ever seen. Like of this, of like of the older eras and stuff, because it, it was just like it was like earnest. There was like a sincerity. Like I thought, I thought Bruno like was playing it real well. Um, you know, Vince starts, was playing his part really well. Bruno starts it off really like somber. Like he's he's like he's really like sad. Like this this guy that who was his protege turned on him, and then he like he gets worked up and angry, and he. I, he did this and he did this, he said this and he said this also in like a, this a second uh, promo he did which I kind of got a chuckle because it's like he kept going back to this line over and over again uh, which again that kind of goes to him not necessarily being as dynamic of a, a personality as he he could have been even though he was effective he's like I'm so bitter and he starts talking about how bitter he is mm-hmm. when he's talking so, about how he saw like Larry as a little brother and he's talking about his like family and stuff. And like world, you know, like World War Two and stuff. Like he's, you know, diving. The diving thing that... deep. Go ahead, Matt. How much of the, his World War Two stuff was known, or did he discuss in the context of like his career? Because I've heard him give interviews. I, I there's a there's a really old like Jericho uh, podcast he did with Bruno, um, where Bruno kind of goes into that whole thing, that story about, and it's like it's legit. Like when he was a child. He had family that they hid him in like the the Italian mountains. From they the like lived off of snow and like robbed the town at night for food. Like it's it's, yeah, it's, it's fucking it's a, nuts. Yeah. It's a fascinating story that happened in in real life to Bruno. Uh, and but I don't know how much that was actually like known to to the audiences or what have you. Have you ever talked about it that often? He certainly didn't come right out and say it here. He just kind of alluded to the fact that. You know, he was a small child in Italy during World War Two, and he saw bad stuff. And it's like, OK, you don't have to go that in depth for my brain to start filling in blanks well, like, of that era, too, though, like because, you know, he because WWF was into like ethnic heroes. So, I mean, if you're from Italy and he's talking about being um, from Italy in World War Two and you're you know, you had a similar experience. Your brain's going to. Yeah. To fill in a lot of gaps. But the thing that made this interview stand out to me, and yeah, it goes for about five minutes, and they do cut it off whenever he starts getting get getting the steam going. He spends a lot of time doing the setup. But the way he delivers this one I like because he comes off as kind of shell-shocked that this happened. And but, he talks about why, you know, that – you know, he's on the road like 
sometimes three weeks at a stretch before he goes home. And so compared to his family, he thought he had found another family member and a little brother type and that sort and to have this happen. So he's conveying this sense of shock, which is it, it, it carries through great. It carries the message here great. My problem is that it doesn't seem like I, I wanted to see the fire come out because you set all this up and you know my wrestler brain waits for the moment when he kind of looks up and he Kubrick stares the camera and he goes and so Zabisco the way I treat people that betray my family I will treat you you know something just like chilling and angry and something like but we never get there. Well, they cut Ever. him off right when he was going for but that. But no, I mean, yeah. we don't get that in any interview. Like, that's what I was well, waiting for. Well, didn't didn't he start to do that or did it a little bit in one of the – like the second – maybe the, the interview after this because he goes again in that that interview where he's talking about the bitterness. And he goes like, and all that bitterness is going to come out, and implying like it, I'm, I'm going to channel all of that, that anger in, in, that I have right now, and, and I'm going to – I'm going to make you pay. I think um, that was more of a cage, cage match because, like, okay. when we get to the MSG show, he kind of plays nice for the first half of the match, and then there's, like, a point where he unleashes the beast. And um, that's true. Larry, like, almost instantly regrets it. Yeah. But that's, I wanted that in, like, in the interviews. And Bruno doesn't interview that way. One thing that is interesting to me is you know that first interview when larry says he wants the match he's kind of got a very his hairstyle is because he's in this point in time you know we're in the 1980 where it's not really a mullet but his hair is kind of long it's a little longer in the back and so it's kind of brushed forward and it makes him look i don't know a little younger and maybe a little more innocent and then after he turns on Bruno and, and whacks him with the chair. He starts carrying off the hairstyle that's more reminiscent of what you saw when he was like commentating on Nitro with the part, and it looks a little more styled. And it poops a little bit in the back more. Yeah, and it. I appreciated the fact that he made this change to his – it's small, but it makes a it's, big impression. It's more – this is going to sound ridiculous, but when I was watching it, I was like – it felt more um, – aristocratic almost hmm. yeah i can see that like it was but... like he it was like he went for like a more refined hairstyle to like kind of be like hey look at me i've like grown up. more confident yeah it's it's more confident than the other one is yeah and so then, I, that jumped at me so then i would be interested to know how the taping schedule works because we get we get one f f from bruno for msg and he clearly has, like, you can see, like, the, the, I don't know why he did such a jagged cut on his head, but, um. Oh, gosh, yeah, it, right, it's right in the middle of his forehead, too. Because it goes, like, down, and then, like, there's just this sharp decline, like, down, like, oh, man, like, what'd you do? But, um, yeah, so he does this one, he doesn't have the bandage on, but he still clearly has, like, the, the, the mark, like, the yeah. scab. It kind of says it, it's kind it of looks a, like a um, it kind of almost looks like most of a treble clef from a music staff. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. But this is this is very similar to the other one. I'd just say more subdued. Mm -hmm. So then we go. So we get to MSG and the MSG match is a much different animal. 
than um than the first match because Larry's much more out for blood in this one. Um, mm-hmm. Bruno kind of goes a little easy on him. Like he does like a full Nelson. He does some technical stuff at first, but then there's a point. I don't remember what Larry did, but there's a point where Bruno just has enough and he just starts unloading on Larry. And it's actually great, but I have to say, Oh, this uh, go ahead. This crowd is rabid and out for blood. It, it's funny. Um, that kayfabe inter- kayfabe commentaries interview they asked Larry it's like did you know how long did it take for you to figure out how mad the fans were going to be at you and he goes oh I found out real quick um, he got stabbed he, in the buttocks I think um, someone yeah. shot at a cat no he had he couldn't take cabs because fans would overturn the cabs with him in it yes they'd wreck his yeah. cars they'd overturn the cabs he was in he said somebody shot at him and missed just like over his head. Yeah, and someone stabbed how... him in the butt too. Yes, <clears throat> but when we this match is going, they get out there and Bruno's you know doing some stuff at the beginning, and then Larry gets loose and starts laying it in. And one of the first things I notice is Larry's Abisco, at least from from watching these matches, Larry's Abisco has some excellent working punches. They're not straight shots they're not they're not like um they're not punches the way bobby eaton would do it he has a real wide base and it's kind of it's not really a hook but he throws them he kind of hooks it across the front of his body and they look really good and he just beats the tar out of bruno but what happens is he'll hit him a bunch of times then bruno starts to come up larry will bail out of the ring go around the corner, Bruno comes after him, Larry goes back in, and then Larry starts hammering on him when he gets back in the ring again. Yeah, and then <laughs> that's where I had a problem with the ref in this one because the ref lets Larry, like, knock Bruno off of the apron, like, 5,000 times. It generally doesn't <laughs> do anything, but so they're doing this runaround, which I actually thought was great because it was just, um... But then finally, like, he does it and Bruno catches him. Mm-hmm. and gets him back in. He can't in. get out of the ring. And then and... He's, he's giving it to Larry really good, and the ref's kind of, like, getting in his face, and, and Bruno doesn't even really push him that hard. He just kind of, like, gets him a little shove, and then the ref decues him because he's like, how dare you touch me? I know I was letting you get AIDS off of that MSG floor. It's weird because he's got... um. Like when he gets Larry and I couldn't figure if this was something they meant to do or if it was something that just kind of happened and they played into it. But, oh, also the other thing that gets me, the ropes on those rings give so far that it, it well, they, gave, gave they, me anxiety. Looking they they practically oh use boxing rings at this point. Yeah, it, it was. I was just like, "Oh, good God, no, don't do that." I think Cornette talked about on a podcast when they hired him in like '93. He got there, and he's like, "Oh no, like you can't use these mats. These mats are terrible." And like he, once he had the authority <laughs> to, like he replaced all their like ring stuff and everything because they were using that's, like just god awful rings. That's good. Uh, I know when he was running OVW, they wanted him to use ropes. He goes, "We don't want to use ropes. We want to use cables." And they're like, oh, we'll send you extras. And the ropes broke and dumped Mark Henry on his head, and he was out for six months. It's like, 
there's a reason that most places don't use ropes. They use cable. It's easier to maintain. They hold up for longer, that sort of stuff. But just watching the way the guys hit the ropes, I was just like, oh, 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 God. You know, I was super anxious. And, and I have to say, I I hope Bruno did not get a disease from the floor on MSG because every time he was, like, crawling on there, like, I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I wish I did not see that floor because <laughs> yeah. it was just it was it. I, I don't know if um I think a I think a truck stop bathroom in West Virginia <laughs> might have a cleaner floor than MSG did on that show. It, it, yeah, that, that was not fun but so they get in there and larry's foot like this the middle and the bottom rope get twisted around larry's foot oh so yeah, larry's yeah, yeah foot stuck mm-hmm. and bruno's just on top of him just going to town i'm just like yes this is the kind of fire i was talking about and the ref comes over to do so and here's the problem with this ref it the ref in this match like larry like knocks bruno off the apron bruno's on the outside and the ref walks over and he he doesn't lift you know, he walks over with his arms at his side and he lifts his hand just like barely above his waist to kind of like gesture Larry back. And he walks over to the ropes and he goes one, two. It would be like if the goth kids from South Park were the the referee for this match, just like how little they would put into it. You know, he's not he's not holding his hands up so the crowd can see the count. He's just walking over and doing it because I'm supposed to do the count one, two. No, three he and he's doing it fast enough that Bronco you can't milk Lubitsch it. Bronco bad. Yeah, he was really bad. And then he didn't, you know, Bruno's on top of Larry just wailing on him, and the ref walks up and kind of like taps him on the shoulder. He's like, "Dude, stop! Come on, man, stop! Yeah, Come on, was, dude, don't don't bad. be doing that." And then Bruno kind of like shoves him, and he turns around. And he's like, "No, nah, disqualify him because." Because how dare he touch me? Yeah, he shouldn't touch me. And it, this guy was—I don't know how that guy had 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 a job, let alone got drawn for that match. I think the refs were notoriously bad in this era, if I had to guess. Yeah, bad ref sucks so much out of a match. There's um actually because I saw this on like a comp that's like a contextual look at WWF from like '79 to '83, uh-huh. and um it just popped in my head. But so there's a. There is a Backlund versus Greg Valentine title match from like 79. And it had a great spot that I saw where Valentine had Backlund pinned and Backlund tapped him while he was getting pinned on his shoulder. Like he was the ref Mm -hmm. and Valentine started celebrating because he thought like he got the three and it it wasn't like Backlund just tricked him. (laughs) Okay. It was a, it nice. was original, um, but yeah. So then, um, so then we we start. There's another one that happens because Bruno beats him by countout. So then they um they kind of go their separate ways for a couple months after that. So and like, I looked this up. So I think Larry spends a lot of his summer fighting like Ivan Putsky, and then he gets a title shot at Bob Backlund. I think around June that he wins by like referee's decision. So I'm guessing that was like a blood stoppage and he Mm. won a battle Royal to get that. So then we head into like a cage match for um, the big Shea stadium show. If you've seen it, you've seen like the Hogan Andre match in this probably. 
And that's yeah, all- there's there's some promos ahead of it, but yeah, again, they just don't fire up, man. This is the close we get in an interview to to Bruno really firing up, but we don't really get it. What I like about this though is like, there's one Larry does that I absolutely love, where he talks about like Stan Hansen breaking his neck. Uh huh. And like he's talking about this, like you know, it's it's a kind of a common theme, but he's like he's like Bruno, he's like you're an old and broken man, like you know. Just like go away is kind of what he was saying in this promo, and I really liked it. Oh, that like, was. Uh, go ahead, man. I'm sorry. I, I like how like, I mean, he's 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 turned heel, and based upon like the people that he's been facing that year, he's arguably like one of the top heels, one of the main, one of the main like upper cards, like heels. I love how throughout this he's like completely unrepentant about the things that he's done. It's like he, he doesn't see where he has done anything wrong. Yeah. That's true. He he just looks at it and he's like, I did that, and look where I am now. And you want me to apologize. And it should also be noted that Larry doesn't have Albano, Blassie, or the Wizard as a manager, which is a complete and total oddity for this era. Like, he is a total... Um, they, I guess, I guess I read in storyline they approached him and he turned them all down. So he is yes. kind of like a complete um, abnormality. I actually, yeah, I did a little bit of research myself, like trying to read up on this angle, and I guess that was part of it, where it's like uh, those, like the, he was, he was basically being courted by the big managers of that time, and he turned them down, which I, that is kind of an oddity. Uh, I kind of like it because it kind of made him stand out i think that's why they did it it made him a bigger yeah and i think i think too it's 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 attention to character detail you wouldn't get now because part of like the whole reason he turned is so he could be his own man so why is he going to take on a manager like that's just yeah that's just going back to what he was doing before right also in in this set i don't know if you watched it but there's a hogan promo that's absolutely god-awful Let's go knock over some telephone poles. It's like, God, really? It was really bad. Like, he hadn't learned to talk yet. See, I skipped through um, a lot of stuff that it, that didn't pertain just in the interest of, you know, uh, making sure I hit everything. I caught the end of that one. I was just like, wow, that's, um, that's not what I expect out of a Hogan Bobo. <laughs> I, I kind of cut that one out. Uh, I was more focusing upon the matches. Yeah. Uh, and and some of the interviews, I kind of like, I was doing, uh, I was multitasking and doing other things like while it was going on. So, yeah, I can't recite them like verbatim, but. Uh, I just remembered that, uh, that particular line from the end of one. I'm like, no, dude, don't that. That's not as good a line as you think it is. <laughs> That just doesn't. That doesn't work. Um, well, let me tell you something, dude. Yeah, <laughs> he hadn't found that. Uh, yeah, that, that character yet. You. F- that. That's the thing. When you find the gimmick that clicks, everything just kind of flows. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when 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 the Hulkster pops pops up, it's like, okay, now now we got it. Now we know what's up. But at this point, he wasn't. He he was he was looking for it, but he hadn't gotten there yet. Yeah. But you know this 
the, the promo that Bruno does here is the closest we see to that fire. But even with that, it still seems awfully subdued to me anyway. Like for for the blood feud this is supposed to be, it's like you should be angrier right now. You're you're still coming off as so reserved. That's kind of like what bothered me. Because um, this is basically, this is supposed to be like a blood feud. Mm-hmm. And he was more restrained. And I get that that's you know, like his personality. That's kind of like how what his gimmick was. But it, in certain instances, like that's, that's not what works. Or that's not ideal. Yeah. And I think this is like that. It's like you should be really, you, you should want to rip this dude's head off. Mm-hmm. He's caused you like tons of, of anguish and pain. You should want to make him pay, and you're like, you're not doing that. You're not, you don't, you're not showing that appropriate level of fire. Yeah, that absolutely. Uh, the best I can come up with, and it's some stuff that Brad has said to us in the past about that. That's the way New York ran. I don't think I would have enjoyed the New York territory. Like there, well, there's. Have, well, have you seen like a lot of the? Uh, have you seen any of their like '70s shows? Uh, not just from not just from like Madison Square Garden, but yeah, uh, like the the loop is like what Boston Garden, Philadelphia. Yeah, you do like their their main loop with stuff intermixed is um, MSG, the Spectrum, and Boston Garden, and then like they would hit DC and Baltimore. And wouldn't they also hit like Toronto or Maple? Maple was it Maple Leaf Garden? I think they might have, but I, I it's they're they're what they did kind of. Outside of that loop, it changed over time. I don't hate that stuff because I like I. There's something about like like older wrestling that I kind of have like a, a fondness for, but it's not all great stuff. Like you would you would get stuff like uh, you know Dominic Danucci versus like Baron Ciclona <laughs> in like a, or you'd have a like t- Johnny Maria versus Larry Sharp yeah. going like ten minutes. Yeah. It actually should be stated though, like towards the late '70s, the work rate got better because they had backlund. They had like Greg Valentine come in. Um, it was a little better in that era, and in the early '80s, it got better. But like it, it's not. Um, it's not like I, I enjoyed the context of everything. But like when you when you're talking about heels and in WWF, like they were all interchangeable. Like your main antagonists were. The Grand Wizard, Freddie Blassie, and Lou Albano. They were the antagonists, and then the heels were there, interchangeable like guys they were using at the time. Yeah, that's that's not uh, the thing I'm getting is this is just not a booking style that that really appeals to me. You know, it's it, this is this, this would not be my territory of choice. No, but uh, it's not mine either. Um. Because the heels don't win enough. Yeah, it gets it, the the super face mentality is. And they don't give a lot like away. Like if you watch like Memphis from the same era, like you never know what's gonna happen on Memphis. On a given oh, yeah. TV show, and with WWF, they they probably do like two or three big angles like a year. Mm-hmm. And you know, like even this like. If this was like a southern area, they might get into some brawls and stuff. 
And, you know, they just do, I mean, and I think it's refreshing that they don't interact a lot, but, you know, they just kind of do promos and have some big matches. I mean, that's okay, but if you're doing that, then I would expect, there's some other booking stuff that we have talked about off air that I would expect that just doesn't seem to happen. You know, the the fact that the, the heels never seem to, to pick pick up wins it's just like what so what happens so so what the what your like lifespan as a heel is is you come in you work your way up to wherever you're going to go so if you're going to challenge backland you probably beat like you beat all the guys on the way up there and then you do your couple months with backland and then what you do is you go back down and you return the favor to all those guys you beat on the way up which is fine but you know, in those top programs, from all the stuff I've seen so far, let me put it that way, in those top programs, it just seems like like I'm the heel. I'm here to get in your face and prove my point. And then it's like, well, it seems like the best you can really hope for is going even in the matches with the mm-hmm. with usually, whoever the, the super face is. Usually, what what you would get is like one guy'd win the first match by some probably like bs thing then like the heel usually and then the face would come back win the second match by equally like non-clean ways and then they would do like the blow-off match the only one i can think of off the top of my head um is would that would fit would be um the uh the slaughter backland feud because they talked about how slaughter just brutalized Bob Backlund and it's like okay now now we're you know I'm 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 sinking my teeth into this but you know we watch this I go through this whole thing and I'm just like um you know Larry doesn't seem to kind of pull out ahead like ever at all to me no Uh, no yeah yeah in certain matches, he has extended periods where he has like the he's in control, but it it never entirely felt you know like he was going to win, in my opinion. Yeah. <clears throat> they kept so. him strong outside of the Bruno stuff, though. He didn't lose much. And he didn't lose clean if he did. It's just tough because it's like no, we well, I mean. If you're going to build him as a threat, it's like, but he's faced him how many times already? You know, what well, you're showing me is that Bruno has his number, and that's all there is to it. Well, if you're if you're talking about in-universe, if you're in Boston, Philadelphia, or um, New York, they, um, they would have... Well, I think they did the circuit... And Bruno beat him in other gimmick matches in other towns. But essentially, when you get to the gimmick matches, um, they had wrestled once on TV. Larry beat him by DQ. Bruno beat him by countout. That's what you would have seen in any of those markets. That's as far as you would have seen as far as them wrestling each other goes. Okay. And then I think well, like they go like they they do the cage match in Shea, and then they do like a Texas Death match somewhere, and then they do a different gimmick match. Oh, in one of them. Okay. So, like, you would have gotten your blow-off gimmick match in every market. Ah. Okay. Well, so let's see. 
So Does I that think take us I think that's Shay? a fair yeah. I think but I think that's a fair lifespan of a feud. They can't they 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 have a couple of matches, no one wins clean, so then you do the gimmick match which forces someone to win. Though if it was modern WWE they would someone would lose in the cage by DQ <laughs> or something. Oh god. Herb Abrams had a cage <laughs> match into the double DQ. Herb had the excuse of being coked out of his mind. Yes. But it, it's... <sighs> so, going into Shay, I have to say, and it immediately drives me nuts because I hate it so much. I hate fucking escape rules for cages. I don't like them. Uh, that's It kind of defeats the whole purpose of a cage to me. Yeah. yeah. Like, you, the cage is supposed to be, like, two guys who have a beef with each other. One guy, you know, for whatever reason, some he hasn't – he's been escaping his comeuppance, the heel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to put them in a cage where there is no escape. It's supposed to be a, a fight until the finish. And I hate the escape rules because, like, it, it totally cheapens it out. It's like, oh, this is a blood feud. We're going to settle this in a cage unless you actually just escape the cage, in which case it's done. It's like, No. Like, like should... cages keep one guy in with someone he doesn't want to be there with, and they keep everybody else out yeah. that yeah. they can't. And I, the escape rules just don't like the. If the point is I'm stuck in here with you, the escape rules are except I'm not. And it, like you guys were saying, it it undermines the point, but. I think there was um, – and I might be remembering this wrong, but it, during the Monday Night Wars on Nitro, they put Page and Savage in a cage to counter-program something on Raw, which I think was a cage match. And whereas the, the Raw cage match had all the escape stuff to it, Savage and Page beat the crap out of each other and were flinging each other into the fence repeatedly. On Nitro, and it was just like, well, I'm way more into this over here. Now, I, will I think s- that's what happened. I will say they utilized the cage part of the gimmick pretty well because they were they were lawn darting each other. They were. Cage. I I was talking to you guys as I was watching this. Like, I, generally speaking, besides like escape rules, not liking them, I don't like the smaller cage, and this is the smaller cage. By that I mean like. It, it like barely it, it kind of just like fits around the ring it doesn't fit mm-hmm. like over the ring and it, it, like and things don't need to be like hell of a cell size but there are cages that are a little bit bigger than this i kind of like the cages that are chain link and it goes at least if you're if you're fitting it like over the ring mm-hmm. it's it will go down all the way to the floor and rise above so and with maybe like a couple inches on the apron I, I like, like the, I like them big enough that they can get on the apron comfortably. Yes, yes, yes. That, I think the, me, that's the ideal. The uh, cage, cage. Um, Lucha Brothers and the Bucks had like as far as like how it fit yeah. around the ring is about what I like. Or well, and the other thing, the problem with this match is that the cage is too short. It does not go up, you know. Either one of the guys probably could have stood up and like grabbed either the top or very near the top if they'd stretched for it. That's I, not high I'm enough. I'm fine with that for older stuff like this. I'm fine uh-huh. with that, especially especially if you have no intention of someone going over the side. 
And I think here it served them because it let Bruno kind of um, pull Larry off without, like... Mm. Now, I will say, did you guys notice, though, so this is about the course of nine months. Did you kind of notice the the physical deterioration of Bruno kind of, like, getting his old man body from the start? Uh, a it, little bit. It, it was like his head swelled. Yeah, he uh, could, I just bit. felt... I just felt he was like aging because like his arms are losing definition and stuff. And his his torso had bulked up a bit. Yeah. And, and, you know, he was like 46 at this point. I mean, I'm not I'm not bashing him. I just thought it was interesting, like the time lapse. It, it happened quickly. That yeah. was the, the big thing. Um, but they get in there to do this and. You know, Larry is is unloading and peppering on him, and they are Bruno just wings him into the cage repeatedly. Very, I like impressive. The, I like the weird like stop they did on like the upper deck of the stadium that says "We want blood, Bruno." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then there was there was an odd. Matt, you commented on I saw it too, but an odd little quirk in this match I didn't expect with Bruno's arm. Oh, yeah. he The arm gets kicked. Yeah. And then Larry just starts working on the arm. And, like, it looked – I mean, it looked vicious because he was, like – at one point, he's just, like, fucking punching the bleeding arm uh, with those pretty good punches. And it's seen very – it's it seen painful like like it may have been like legit painful now they weren't like kayfabing it per se did he do you know if could you tell if he bladed or did he just catch himself on the cage and they kind of improvised i don't know like i i feel like i'm i missed something like i don't know if if that's what happened well the film or if he gigged so this but, so for the people that don't know this is like a stadium show and this is like house show footage so like the camera work is not good and like it's the one hard one stationary hard cam yeah. that's too far back out yeah so you, yeah. this is so you can see everything that goes on but it's not like a well shot match i couldn't figure out where it happened either i just i know at one point bruno's arm kind of looked different and larry was just instead of punching bruno in the head was punching at that arm yeah that's what um, I, that's what happened with me too one thing, by the way, I, I missed saying this earlier, but it was the other thing that was very interesting to me in in Larry's transition from face to heel. He did the very earnest face promo at the beginning. When he turned heel, he took on that Zabisco style cadence that you remember from um, from Nitro. The thing you have to understand is it's a human game of chess. You know that up and down kind of cadence that he had where he'd stretch out in the middle of a sentence and then rush the end of it real quick. And the end of his sentences had lots of consonants in it and that sort of thing. It was just, it was interesting to me to, to see, you know, the, the familiar manner of speaking kick in. This cage match does have my like favorite end though, because it has like Larry's pretty much like, like, it pretty much has, like, Bruno, like, dramatically exiting the thing and, like, Larry kind of just being like, no, you can't do this to me. 
Mm. It's like a really great, very um, photogenic ending. Uh, Bruno beat him down so badly they looked at him and said, you know what, I'm done with you, and just walks out. Yeah. And I love that ending to the cage match. That's honestly, if if you're going to have an escape rules cage match and your face is going over, which they should because it's the blow off. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really the way that you should do is the face has wrecked the heel so much that the face can turn around and walk out. Not because. Because he has done so much at that point that. He's made his point. He's paid his vengeance back. And now he can walk away without a concern in the world because he has done what he came to do. Like, yeah. it's a very right off into the sunset kind of thing. Yep. And I I did not quite like this as much as the MSG match, but I thought this was also a solid match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought that the blood, intentional or not, like added to it. Yeah. Um, one thing that also was kind of – I thought was kind of weird, but I actually kind of liked it is when they both after the match like Larry comes out and it he comes up to Bruno and Bruno I I don't even know if this was like <clears throat> if they planned this out uh because Bruno didn't seem like he Bruno th- thought you know it was on again like they're going to start brawling outside and Larry just basically kind of like grabs Bruno's hand and like holds it up like you're the victor and then like drops it and like backs off yeah, he took uh, two shots from Bruno to yeah. do that. Yeah, that was really interesting to me. Like it, it, I, it was kind of like compelling because it, it, again, it didn't seem like it was planned. It seemed almost like real, but it it seemed like like Larry begrudgingly is, uh, kind of uh, signaling like, all right, well, you're the better man. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's really that's really the feud. Um, what did you guys think? Because I know this is probably the first time we've all like super deep dived into it. I will say the matches, the quality of the matches surprised me. Yeah. Um, I liked it, and I think it is a good bit of wrestling history. Um, and I like seeing more Bruno because Bruno is this guy who's like, you know, from before our burst, really. So, yeah, I mean, you don't really see a lot been, of him. We would have been like six when he was doing stuff with like Macho Man in 87. Yeah. Uh, so we didn't really his he, it was long past his prime. He'd already been retired and had to had to unretire for that Macho stuff. So we didn't really see a lot of his stuff. So it's nice to see that and kind of get a little bit of glimpse of how how important he was and popular he was. Um, and in other ways, though, like I, while it was, it's tough to say because it's like I don't want to dog it, but it's like as even though it was good for something to hold such like significance, I was kind of like, uh, that wasn't like what I was expecting. Like I, when it's set up, it's like this is the like the major feud of Larry Biss's career. It's like it, it made him as a wrestler. And it, it pretty much did. Like he basically coasted like another 20 years in the business based off this feud. And for it to be so significant, people keep talking about it like years and years later. It's like after watching it, it's like it's good. But it's like, well, it's good, but I'm not, I'm not like that enthralled by it. I, yeah, because <laughs> there's something about, especially New York style, that's like pre-85, just is very different. 
It's like an, almost a different like sport. Yeah. It's I I said I watched this and it was it I know I've harped on it repeatedly already, but to just say it again is it was did not have the blood feud intensity I was expecting. It also yeah. didn't have the booking I was expecting because I expected that at some Larry was going to do dirty and have a win over Bruno, and so Bruno either he won and retired Bruno, or he got a win over Bruno so he could lord that over everybody because like almost nobody did. No, like um. Here's the thing you have to understand. We kind of hinted at it, but like, if you want to talk about which promotion in like the 70s, even through the 80s, had the most basic bitch of um, game, it was WWF. <laughs> There's a reason. Like, I know people. I know people now, especially people in big cities, like to look down their noses at like Southerners and stuff. But if you watch like Southern wrestling from like the same era, like Southern wrestling is much more. <clears throat> like refined and like risky and like artistic and like creative and how it approaches nuanced things. yeah yeah there the, yeah there's more aspects to the storytelling because like whereas because even in the 70s you get stuff in like the, you know some of those southern territories are like he's like man like you 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 know you you had your you know you you're cheating with my lady like we're gonna we're gonna fuck each other up now like which you never get in new york um Waddy Caldwell and Ron Wright for 20 years had a feud with a bunch of Tennessee chain matches. They, I mean, and the, it was a blood feud. They, you know, were going, they were great friends, but they couldn't tell anybody that, but they, they went out there and jacked each other up until Whitey Caldwell died in a car wreck and Ron Wright switched babyface to take over for him that night. So remember, I will hold that against like, against someone challenges Bruno and gets beat. And then this guy challenges Bruno and gets beat. And this guy challenges against Bruno and gets It's like, come on. Well, remember, remember that thing you and I were watching that was hilarious with Ron Wright from like the seventies. And he sits down with the announcer and he's like, he's like, why do you have the chair so low? Yeah. Like, why do you always get a bad chair for me whenever I come out here? And the guy's like, I don't get the chairs out, Ron. You do this to me all the time, Ron. I don't, I don't set the chairs up. <laughs> But, you know, Ron Wright's still just giving him down the road about it. Um, Or there's stuff like um, Honky Tonk Man on some of, like, the 79 Memphis stuff. There's, like, mm -hmm. one where he and Lance Russell are getting into it. He's like, you know why your nose is so big, Lance Russell? Because you lie all the time. (laughs) There's, yeah. And he's, he's, and there's, like, this one where he's, like... He's just running this stuff down, and Larry Latham, who was a moon dog, is like the whole time he's doing that, he's standing right up in front of the camera, flexing and making kissy faces at it. <laughs> it's just like stuff like that, and is just like there's so much more like like flavor. There's like, much more personality. It yeah. feels like now the the one of the fascinating things to me in watching this was observing what at the time would have been old versus new um, observing Bruno having a, uh, an older wrestling style versus Larry having a more, especially post heel turn, a more dynamic active style. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's progressed to the point that now 40 years later, 
you know, we're going to, you know, Ray Phoenix or Canadian destroyers being a transition spot, which still pisses me off. Um, you know, that that's a thing that happens now as opposed to like Bruno goes for a hold and you wiggle out and that's a big, big moment, right? Like Bruno goes to put on the full Nelson, you wiggle out and then you stall for three minutes. Like that's a big thing. It's like, look, I I understand there's, there's going to be a pendulum and some people are all going to be all the way on this side. And some people are going to be all the way on that side. I'm, I, I like to think I'm kind of more in the middle because I like seeing guys do stuff but you don't have to just go 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 do 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 something do something do something so and i like seeing variety so this was i i looking at this i was like okay i'm looking at old school style here but then you had the difference between bruno and larry which was it, it was a very nice contrast move that was moving into um you know, more of what we saw in the eighties. I actually thought mm-hmm. the MSG match was shockingly fast paced for that era. Yeah. Cause it was like a 20 minute match. And I was like halfway into it. I'm like, wow, like this is really, they, they're really like, they weren't doing like a ton of stuff, but they, they kept it. They kept it at a good tempo. Everyone except the ref. Yeah. And, <laughs> and this is something too, if you don't think Bruno San Martino can work, you need to watch these matches because like you're sadly mistaken. He just works a different style than what you're used to. That's, but he, there's a lot of, is. and there's a lot of subtleties and nuances to like the things he's doing in there. Yeah. yeah. I think overall, I actually, I like Bruno's work. I mean, I have I've not seen even probably like a fourth of the stuff that's out there, but I do think he's a good worker. It's just he works like an older, like I'll say slower style, but I'm not saying that as a, in, a, in a, any sort of pejorative way. It's just more like methodical. It's mm-hmm. not like Pedro Morales who does like suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, I thought I thought I legitimately think the MSG show like if we were if we were snowflaking it, I would probably put that at three and a half stars. Um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, because it's for I mean, taking into context the era it is, I enjoyed it a lot and it kept my interest. And um, I I just enjoyed going with the flow on that one. If I were to become fabulously wealthy and construct the pro wrestling museum and and do it with whatever I could get my hands on that wasn't pre-owned and do like original interviews with people. And so this would be like part of the transition out of the seventies into the eighties. Like this would have its exhibit kind of right there at that turn of the decade stuff. Um, Cause I think, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a big deal and it exemplifies a lot of change. And it's, it's worth, I think if you're, if you're a fan and you want to see old stuff, like I think this is a must watch for the historical significance of it. Yeah. Cause it's not, I mean like, like we, we've said our problems with it, but like, I think it's about an hour worth of content and I was not bored. I was not bored by it. It was, um, none of the promos are long. I think the longest promo is like five minutes, which if you're that empty arena promo yep. was five minutes long. And like, they're all snappy. Um, you get to see some of the other guys around there. You get to see, you get to hear a couple of the cards in there that Vince is hyping. 
Like, um, it's not it's not a bad watch. It's easy to watch too. It's like you could this could be like an afternoon for most people. Oh yeah, because like I said, like it doesn't like the promos aren't like long. The promos are a couple minutes each, so like they're really good at getting in there, making their point, and getting out. It's not like the cold opens that are forty minutes now. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a good. Uh, it keeps moving, and so you know you don't you don't drag much before they kind of shift, and they did it. It makes it easy to binge. Yeah. Makes it easy to binge. So next week, um, next week might not be a set in stone, but we're going to be doing a little bit of stardom next month. Next okay. month or next next week? Hopefully next week, but if we if we can't get to it, we're gonna do that free thing they put up around New Year's Eve. We were gonna do um, that one. I asked you the link for that's like an hour. Mm-hmm. We're going to do that, um, and then I wanted to, later in the year, I want to dip into some 80s Joshi, um, so we're going to finally corrupt Shad and, <laughs> and oh, get Lord. him into, you'll like, I think, I think. I'm you'll, just saying, I'm saying, how much explaining am I going to need to do if someone walks up and sees me watching it? Well, see, I think you're going to really love um, 80s All Japan Women, because what it is, it's like. Your standard issue, like, white meat baby faces versus big, colorful heels. Okay. Like, I Monster think, heels. Yeah. Like, you're going to be getting, like, you're going to be getting, like, your kind of, um, your white meat baby face kind of in, like, not super flashy gear versus, like, you know, like, big bull Nakano with, like, a mohawk and, like, all painted up and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, you're going to be getting, like, chain matches and... You know, Devil Masame just like torturing people. Like, I think you'll like it. Okay. Well, I'm, hey, I'm willing to give it a shot. And like, it's going to also be like super technically proficient white mm-hmm. meat baby faces. Okay. Which I think, I think, I think that's, um, for a white meat baby face, I think that is an underrated quality is they have to be technically proficient. Like, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're a different kind of baby face, you can be. You can you can be less proficient, but I think like part of being like that that type of face is you have to like be really good at the wrestling side of it. There's in in my head the white the the white meat baby face sits on one end of the scale, and then as you approach tweener, you you start shading a little more gray into it. So if you have someone who's a very brawly baby face. They're more towards the gray side of it because if they're a brawler, they're probably willing to take a cheap shot now and then and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas the the white meter, they're trying to do they're trying to do it right. They're trying to do it you know properly, and um, it's a you know a whole different um, yeah. It, there's a whole different mentality and character that goes into that. Yeah. But I think that is it for this topic. Um, I thought I thought this was a nice divergent um, look at stuff that we've done. It it wasn't. I think my favorite thing that we still did though is like the early '80s Mid Atlantic, especially that Piper Briscoe match. <laughs> yeah. God, Piper was so good in that. Yeah, he's such a dickbag. Yes. <laughs> um, sorry to step back, like just to, to promote like the Joshi stuff that we're gonna do, like. I'm excited about that because uh, the current Joshi wrestling 
this is a big bold prediction because we're only like one month <laughs> into the year. But if things go like they might go this year, I think at the end of this year, we might have a serious discussion if stardom is the best promotion in wrestling. I don't mean like I, I mean like men and women. They have they have the potential. We talked about them a bit on our year end awards. Like I just didn't watch enough of them last year. They would have been in contention with AEW and Game Changer had I watched more. Yeah. They the stuff that they already are doing or have done this month and the stuff that's rumored to go uh, in the future it's looking like it's it quite possibly they could be the promotion. It's sort of like the kind of like the promotion to watch, but they they might be in that contention. Because um, I think well, and I think um, I think Starlight Kid's gonna break through this year too. They seem like they're probably gonna go that route. Um, she seems like she's about to get the rocket on her, but. And they should because she's incredibly charismatic and, and a fantastic worker. Um, but they're um. The rumor, and by all science, it looks like it's going to happen. It's that uh, Kari Hojo, aka Kari Sane, is going to be coming back to stardom. And yeah, it's going to be big. She's potentially going to start there, like imminently. They're certainly like teasing that. So if, it, if they don't deliver on that, like that's that's not good yeah. <laughs> for all the teasing they're doing. It's like it's kind of like how like all the teasing that was done. Tony Khan had to deliver and have CM yeah. Punk show up because if not, it'd been like your fans are really gonna be pissed off. <laughs> and they also have probably the best streaming service because all of their promos are subtitled, so mm-hmm. it's it's very English friendly. If you watch the shows, you know what they're saying in their promos and stuff. Highly recommended. It. It's 920 yen, which is about like between like 850 and nine dollars most months. So. Um, and they post all the shows on there. So I think all that right, is well, it for this week. Yeah. Everybody, we want to say thank you for joining us for uh, for this episode, for this historical retrospective. Larry Zbysko and Bruno San Martino. We would love to hear from you on social media. Do you think, uh, you know, do uh, you agree with us, disagree with us? If you got requests, send them in, too. We would love to hear from you. And so, this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three corners. You're in the fourth. And we will catch you next time.